And uh, take your Bibles and go to the book of Mark, chapter number 10. Mark, chapter number 10. And as you turn your uh, Bible open there, I'm going to just give you kind of a, a schedule of where things will be over the next couple of weeks. And so you'll know what will be taking place ahead of time. Um, as my wife mentioned earlier, we're going to be traveling uh, to Savannah, Georgia. And uh, we're going to fly out Thursday evening and we're going to go down there for a couple of nights. And so we'll be gone next Sunday. I won't be here, um, and um, I've asked Pastor uh, Casey if he would come and preach for us next Sunday morning, and so he'll be preaching both services next Sunday, and uh, he'll be filling the pulpit here, and I know you'll look forward to hearing that, hearing from him on next Sunday morning. Uh, then the following Sunday, we will be back in town, and, uh, but that Sunday I've asked um, a friend of mine, Pastor Paul Gibson, and Paul and Kathy Gibson are pastoring in southern Ohio right now. And Brother Paul has been in ministry for probably 40 years, uh, 35, 40 years. And, um, and when I was just a little guy, uh, he started into ministry, and uh, his wife was my third grade Sunday school teacher. And, uh, and so I remember her coming and teaching us uh, scripture verses, and if we won a prize, we got to go to her house for pizza, and uh, I got to go for pizza. And I remember that she took us to the store and bought us all a toy, and I got a bow and arrow, the one with the sponge on the end of it, you know, a little, little suction cup on the end of it. I remember that real clearly for just memorizing Bible verses, and that's been a lot of years ago. But they've been just faithfully serving the Lord all this time and uh, just having an opportunity to have them come up. He's going to be away from his church that Sunday and uh, speaking for us. I know you'll be blessed by them. You'll be encouraged by uh, the work they've done. He's been a great influence in my life. And so looking forward to having them with us on the following Sunday. And then, of course, we'll be back together on the next Sunday, and we'll continue through the book of Mark in the next two sections. We have two sections left in the chapter 10 and uh, after this Sunday, and I'm really looking forward to uh, the last section when we get to Blind Bartimaeus. I think it's one of my favorite passages in all the book of Mark. And so I hope you'll read ahead and be thinking on that. And, of course, joining the next two weeks as well as we have other ministers come in and minister to us as a body. If you found your place in Mark chapter number 10, let's stand to our feet in honor of the Word of God. And we'll read in verse number 20, or sorry, 32 and down through verse number 34 this morning. Follow along with me if you would. And they were in the way going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus went before them. And they were amazed, and as they followed, they were afraid. And he took again the twelve and began to tell them what things should happen unto him, saying, Behold, we go up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man shall be delivered unto the chief priests and unto the scribes, and they shall condemn him to death and shall deliver him to the Gentiles. And they shall mock him and shall scourge him and shall spit upon him and shall kill him, and the third day he shall rise again. Let's pray together as we begin. Father, we thank you for your word. Well, we ask you, Father, that we would uh, rely upon its sufficiency this morning. Holy Spirit of God, I pray that you would do the work in our hearts and through us. Lord, I pray, Father, we would never come to hear the words of a man, but, Father, we would hear the words of God preached from your book to your people. And, Lord, may they be encouraged by what we hear this morning. Lord, I pray, Father, that you would comfort the hurting hearts this morning. Lord, lift up the discouraged this morning. Lord, I pray that you would provoke those that need to be provoked and Lord, I pray that you would give us a new focus and a new uh, energy as we go forward to serve you for your glory. It's in the precious name of Jesus we ask it. Amen. You can be seated there. 
It is the privilege of a pastor, and I say that seriously. It is the privilege of the pastor to be able to stand on a Sunday morning and look through the crowd and not just see people, but see stories behind those people. Not just see people, but see the heartaches that go on behind those stories. To remember the times of prayer we've had together. And to know that we have walked some of those valleys together and prayed together. And that is the, the privilege of pastoring a people. And the longer that we get to labor together, the deeper that privilege gets. And I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful for that opportunity. And so when we come to a text like today, I rejoice in it. Because a text like today is a time for us to be comforted and encouraged by the Word of God. Be strengthened by it. And I hope this morning that that would be the case. We've asked the question in the first section of the study of Mark. We ask, who is Jesus? And we answered that question with the resounding words of Peter. Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. He got it. He understood who he was. And he stood up and proclaimed it. But then the next section of Mark is asking the question, so who is the Christ or who is the Messiah? What's the ministry of the Messiah? What did he come to do? And the people of Israel did not understand who the Messiah was or who he was going, what he came to do. They didn't understand the ministry of the, Desiah, of the Messiah. In our text here, the, the riches, uh, or rather the rich young ruler had left just recently and Jesus has instructed them about who can enter the kingdom of God. But now he turns from the question of who can enter the kingdom of God to what is the nature of the kingdom of God. And he begins to kind of drop some breadcrumbs on the ground, so to speak, to get their attention about what this kingdom is going to look like in the now and now. And he even says in verse number 30, if you were to look at this chapter here, he said, you shall receive a hundredfold in this time, houses and brethren and sisters and mothers and children and lands, and then the next two words, with persecution. And he's giving a little hint to what it will look like that this life, there will be troubles. And then in the next verse, number 34, Jesus has, and we just read this together, just very clearly he says, they shall kill him. And again, we see that this kingdom, this pathway that the Lord, the Messiah is walking out is one that leads through the cross even Matt, uh, James and John, they come to Jesus in the very next text, and they said, hey, can we sit at your right hand or your left hand, and we'll look at the next, that the next time we're together. But they're asking for an opportunity to sit at his right hand or left hand when they come into the kingdom, and they're looking for a political position in their minds. They're thinking this would be good positions for us. And they even, in another text, we find out that they get their mom to help ask the question. And Jesus asked them the question. He said, are you able to drink of the cup that I drink? Are you able to be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with? And they, of course, answer, of course we are. Yeah, yeah, we're, we're good. Let's go. What do you got? Bring it on. And, of course, Jesus, knowing what he was saying and them not understanding all that was entailed in that, he said, well, you will drink of this cup and you will be baptized with this baptism, but to sit at my right hand and my left hand is not mine to give. And so he is pointing them to a direction that there is some suffering ahead. 
in a text closer to his, uh, his passion when he goes to the cross, he even says to them, in this world, you will have tribulation. There is going to be heartache in this world. So I want to break our thoughts up this morning into three uh, buckets, if we could, or three sections here. First off, I want you to see his pers- pers- purposeful journey. Jesus' purposeful journey. Then I want you to see his patient instruction, and then finally his promised victory. Now we probably could also insert somewhere along the way their persistent blindness, their unwillingness to see that goes on here as well. But his purposeful journey, that's the first thing. In verse number 32, and he says, and they were in the way going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus went before him, and they were amazed as they followed, and they were afraid This is what's taking place. Jesus is on this journey on the way back to to Jerusalem in order to be crucified. He's about to face his passion. He's about to suffer and die for the sins of all humanity. We see Jesus entering the public picture of ministry with John's declaration. And that declaration was bold and it was in a crowd of people. And he says, behold, the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. All that that would entail was yet to be understood. But now at the end of this journey, what do we see? We see off in the distance a lone figure walking alone. We see Jesus going before them. He silently walks toward Jerusalem. All those that follow behind him, amazed and afraid. The disciples and others who follow in that group of people that are going behind him to Jerusalem, they're afraid, they're amazed. What is it that has them afraid? What is it that has them amazed? They know of some threats of persecution that have come upon the Lord already, and they are aware of that. But there's something about his walk today. There's purpose in the walk. You understand this morning that he knew what lay ahead of him. He knew everything, as is testified in his own words here, that he knew what was coming. And yet, Jesus goes before them. And I love that phrase, that Jesus went before them. There's a heaviness now that is on him that was not there before. The tension that they feel spreads through those that are following. Jesus is walking alone. He has walked alone before, but not as this is nothing new for him to be alone. But today there is something different. He hangs heavy and seems heavy as if the world were resting on him. All of human history has been leading us to the cross. All of the prophets have pointed us here. All the law and the sacrifice were simply shadows of what is about to take place. And now Jesus, knowing what is ahead of him, is going before the apostles. The purpose and the plan of God leads us to the cross, not around it. Let me say it again. The purpose and the plan of God leads us to the cross, not around us. In this world, you will have tribulation. There will be pain. And I can stand here this morning, and I can look around the room, and in each row and in each aisle, I can share pains that you and I have prayed together on, or you've asked me to pray with you about. And we've all gone through those pains. We know that there are tribulations in this world. We know that there are burdens to care. And the apostles, they were looking at the Messiah's mission to take them out of the burdens and bring them up to the mountaintop, and everything was going to be great in this kingdom. And by the way, there will be a kingdom someday where there is peace, and there is no more pain, and no more tears, and no more crying, and no more heartache, and that day is coming. 
Someone say this is like the mountaintop prophecies of the Old Testament. They would see the high points of Jewish history, but ignore the valleys between the mountains. And as if they were looking across a mountain range, they could see the peaks, but couldn't see the valleys. And here the Jewish mindset cannot comprehend a suffering Savior. A Savior, a Messiah who is a suffering servant, did not compute. Jesus knows there's a purpose ahead, and so Jesus went before them. Now let me say this to you this morning, church. There is no valley that you will walk that the footprints of the Savior are not well pressed into that soil. He's been there before you. There is no tear that you could shed that he hasn't wept before you. There is no sorrow that you could experience that he hasn't been there before you. There's no sense of abandonment that you could go through that he hasn't been there before you. You see, he is leading the disciples to the cross, and he leads us to the cross. But I'm glad to say this morning that he goes before us to the cross. So we see, if we were to trace the journey of redemption through the pages of history, and we were to outline all that's taken place on this marvelous path of redemption, what we'll find is that in every dark valley his servants walk through, he went before them. Every time. There's never a place in Scripture where he hasn't gone before them. I think of Abraham. You know the story of Abraham and Isaac. And he says to Abraham, take your only son Isaac whom you love and take him up onto a mountain that I will show you and offer him there for a sacrifice for me. The Bible says of Abraham that he rose up early in the morning. He got everything together and he and his servants went to the base of the mountain that God had showed him. And he gets to the base of this mountain and prophetically and with faith he says to his servants, my son and I will go up and worship and we will come back. He didn't understand how that was going to work out, but he believed God was going to bring him and his son back down that mountain. He goes up to the top of the mountain, and I love the words. It's such a beautiful picture. We see uh, Isaac carrying the wood and the fire, and they're going up the mountain, and Isaac looks at his dad, and he said, Father, there's the wood, and here's the fire, but where is the lamb for a sacrifice? And Abraham's prophetic words ring throughout history. And he says, God will provide himself a lamb. They get to the top of the mountain. And not only in the moment that he raises his hand back to kill his son, God stops his hand. He stays it. And what do they hear in the distance? But a ram caught by his horns in the thicket. It's a beautiful picture too. Because the ram wasn't caught by the flesh where it would be marred. And unfit for sacrifice, it was caught by the horns. So it was a spotless lamb that could be sacrificed. And he took that ram from the horn that was caught in the thicket, and it was offered as a substitute for Isaac as he lay there on the altar. And what do we see? We see that even in the story of Abraham, Jesus went before them because he was the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. He was the lamb that went before them. Moses comes to the Red Sea, enemy behind, and obstacles on the left and the right and the Red Sea in front of them and and God tells him to stand still and see the salvation of the Lord and in faith Moses stretches out the stick over and over the Red Sea and the water begin to part and the wind blows and all of it stands up on heat and God leads the children of Israel through on dry ground and we see here even in this moment Jesus went before him why because he's the one who the wind and the seas obey Jesus went before them We could look through Jacob's life. Jacob wasn't even a faithful man at this point. He was a trickster. 
He had deceived his own brother out of his birthright. He had lied about getting the, the blessing of the father, and all of this is taking place, and now Esau wants to kill him, and Jacob flees for his life, and then when he flees, what does he find? He gets to a place called Bethel. And there in this place called Bethel, which means the house of God, we see a ladder coming down from heaven and ascending, and people are going from here to there and there to here. And what do we find here? It's a picture of Jesus Christ, the one who would bridge the gap between heaven and earth, and Jesus went before him. We see this picture painted in the life of Joseph, who was sold into slavery by his own brothers. He was there alone in the prison cell, and yet he was never alone, because the Bible says that even in the prison, these words come off the pages of Scripture, and the Lord was with him. Jesus went before them. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you know the story. Three Hebrew boys, they show up there uh, to worship this idol that they had been commanded to worship. And everyone at the sound of the music was to bow down and worship this false god made to this, this king. The music plays and they refuse to bow. They're reported to the king and the king calls them in and says, what's the deal guys, you were told to bow down when the music plays. Did you not understand? No, we understood just fine. Well, I'm going to give you another chance. We don't need another chance. You see, King, we serve one living God, and we're not going to bow down and worship your image. And he said, here's the thing. You can throw us in the fiery furnace, and the furnace may kill us, but you can't keep us. He said, he will deliver us from you, O King. They throw the three Hebrew boys in the fire. All those men are sitting around thinking it was their demise, and it was all done. And that king looks into the fire, and he said, hold on a second. Did we sow three guys in? How many did we throw in there? He said, well, you threw three in. He said, well, I see four men in the fire, and they're up walking around. And he said, and the fourth man looks like the Son of God. What happened? Jesus went before them. There is no valley that you and I will walk through where he has not gone before us. We see a purposeful journey. He was paving a way. He was going before them. We see his patient instruction. Aren't you glad that Jesus patiently instructs us? I mean, let's think about it for a second. How many have ever been fearful before? How many have worried? Yeah. How many of you worried today? Yeah. Yeah. And then at the same time, how many of us know that God is in control? How many of us know that his promises are sure? And that he's going to keep his word. And we can rest upon it. And we know all of those things, and yet we are still fearful. These apostles, they had seen Jesus raise the dead. They had seen him touch blinded eyes. They had seen him command the winds and the waves, and they stood still. They had seen all this happen, and yet they're still fearful. I remember going to my dad when I was just a young boy, and I said, Dad, doesn't God ever get tired of just forgiving us of the same things over and over again? And he said, son, God doesn't get tired of it. The Bible tells us in Psalms that he remembers our frame, that we are dust. He knows what we're made of. And the loving heavenly father, Jesus, the wonderful son of God, patiently stops, calls his fearful apostles together, and says, let me give you some instruction." Aren't you glad of those days when you're walking in the valley and you're fearful and you open the word of God up and the word of God comes off the page and there's instruction for today? It's like manna that falls new from the heavens and it falls on the ground and it comforts our weary and our fearful soul. 
Now, Jesus gives them instruction, if you would, but I want, I want you to see here that in this instruction, in this private meeting that he calls, he gives them truth, not a feel-good message. He lays out the facts for them. He gives them exactly the cold, hard truth of what they need, and yet he's still patient to instruct them. He gives them the course ahead. Now, I mind you, this is not the first time that he's done this. We've seen him on more than one occasion already instruct them. And in that instruction, we see him doing so in chapter 8. He shares the mission to Peter. And what does Peter do? He rebukes him. Be it far from thee, Lord. Don't, you're not going to no cross. You're not going to suffer. And Jesus said, get thee behind me, Satan. You savor the things of man, not the things of God. In chapter 9, he shares that he's going to be the suffering servant again. And in this time, they were afraid to ask him about him. They didn't understand what was going on. They didn't want to go into that discussion. And they immediately go into debating who's the greatest among them. And here in our text this morning, he instructs them in the clearest tones yet, the clearest precise words yet, that what he's going to do, his purpose and mission are laid out. And Luke 18 concludes this section and says... And they understood none of these things. Look at this now, if you would, in verse number 33 and 34. Here's what he lays out for them. Saying, Behold, we go to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man shall be delivered unto the chief priest and the scribes, and they shall condemn him to death, and shall deliver him to the Gentiles, and they, the Gentiles, shall mock him, and shall scourge him, and spit upon him, and shall kill him. All of this is laid out. He said, this is what's going to happen. He gives them a timeline, an order of events that are going to take place. He puts it all in front of them. And by the way, this is the mission of the Messiah. He came to be the suffering servant. He came to lay down his life for our sins. And as he laid this out already twice before, he comes to this place where he's laying it out again. And they simply ignore the statement and ask, hey, can we sit at your right hand or left hand? They're missing it. They miss it again. Pastor Caleb and I were discussing this text earlier this week, and it makes you ask the question, what are we missing that's staring us right in the face? If these men can miss something so plain, and I wonder why exactly were they missing it, why do we miss these things? I think maybe it could be just they were not ready to understand it yet. It wasn't time for them to understand it yet. Jesus is laying out a message for them. And how many of us have gone through a valley that when we get to the other side of it, we look back and we understand better than we did in the valley of what he was doing in the valley? Maybe they weren't ready. Maybe they weren't ready to carry this burden yet. But Jesus lays it in front of them. I'm reminded of the story of Corey Timboom. Corey Timboom is of the, the book, The Hiding Place. And you may remember the story that during World War II, her family had hidden many Jews and had kept them away from the Nazis and helped them escape. And their, their family actually was eventually kid, captured themselves and then sent to a concentration camp. And the story is an amazing story, but she relates later on in life of an account when she was a little girl going with her dad. And they were going down to Berlin to purchase some parts for uh, his clockmaking shop and that's what he did for a living and they were on their way on the journey and she began to ask her dad dad all of my friends they know what the facts of life are tell me what that is so that I'm not the embarrassment of my friends because they won't they, they laugh at me because I don't know and I, I really want to know what they are and 
the dad kind of just quietly looked at her. He said, Corey, who carries your bags when we go on these trips? And she said, you do, Dad. Why, why aren't you answering my question, though? I want to know about the facts of life. He said, Corey, why do I carry your bags? I don't know, Dad, because they're too heavy for me. He goes, that's exactly right. And what you're asking, Corey, is too heavy for you. Let me carry it for you a little longer. And I think sometimes we go through valleys and we don't get an answer. And it's because the Lord's saying, it's too heavy for you. I'll carry it a little bit longer. But on the other side of the cross, on the other side of the resurrection, these men were able to look back and see what he was saying and why he was saying it. And they're laying out the argument for us to say, hey, he was in control all the time. He had a purpose all the time. And he was leading them to this path. Maybe we missed the point because we're so consumed with our own agenda. I want you to see not only this patient instruction, but I want you to see his promised victory. So often we are fearful in the midst of the present, aren't we? In the moments, the fear and doubt, I want you to remember, he's already been where you're at. He's already made that way of path clear. And though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, death no longer has a sting for us. It has no power anymore. You see, you and I have been to Calvary. We've gone to the cross. If you this morning are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ and you've been to the cross like I have, when I went to the cross, the day I went there, there was no angry mob waiting for me. There were no Roman guards about to take me into custody. There were no nails for my hand. There were no crown of thorns for my head. There was no cat of nine tails for my back. There was no darkness that hung over all the earth. There was no spear that was thrust into my side. There was no separation for God when I went to Calvary. There was no mockery. There was no spitting upon me. There was no plucking out of a beard. He went before me and he took all that for me so that when I went to Calvary, you know what? There was an abundance. There was love flowing freely from Calvary. There was mercy new every morning. There was grace and abundance. There was forgiveness for my soul. There was healing for my wounds. There was innocence for my guilt. You see, the Lord had prepared a table before me in the presence of mine enemies he went before me he took all my sins on himself so I could go free and this morning he's already gone before us in the place of temptation that you find yourself struggling Christian understand that he was tempted in all points like we are yet without sin he went before you in the valley of lost, grieving one, he went before you. He stood at Lazarus' tomb and he wept. He went before us. In the time of heartbreak, confusion, taking all of my sin, all of my sorrow, all of my pain, all of my suffering, he carried all of that to his cross and he went before us. I can just rejoice this morning in the fact that God doesn't just bear my sin. He bears my grief and my sorrow. He carried all of that to the cross. You know, I think we're not careful, church. We can get so wrapped up in looking into the past and looking into the future that we miss the goodness of God. This morning in my journal, I wrote these thoughts down. 
I believe when a Christian looks backward into life, the only view we ought to have of the past is gratitude. And when we look forward, the only view of the future is hope. And she said, Pastor, but I got a lot of things in my past that I'm not thankful for. I mean, how many of us remember times that were so joyful? And we can rejoice in those moments, right? But then when I look back and I see moments that are dark and they're clouded by even my own sin and the sin of others against me, and I look at those moments and I hold on to those and I regret them, I think I'm supposed to look back and look at the joys of life and thank God for his grace and look at the failures of life and thank God for his grace. Because it's his grace that brought me through the failures and the pains, and it was his grace that brought me to the joys. All of that was God's grace. And so I look back, and I'm grateful for where he's led me, because he brought me to where I am, and I'm looking forward, not in fear of tomorrow, not in fear of what's going to happen, because I know the one who holds tomorrow. I'm looking forward in hope, because God is still on the throne. He's still able You see, he bore our griefs. He took our place. Death's sting is no more. Why? What is the promised victory here? Well, he says at the end of our text, he said, and he will rise again. Jesus did rise again. He came out of the grave. And we can look around at this world and we can see all that would be tempted to cause us to fear and to doubt. I mean, my goodness, 2020 has been a year and a half. And we're barely out of summer yet. It's been a crazy year, and the heartaches have been real, and the frustrations have been real, and we're scratching our head of what's going to happen next, and we're wondering if our society can even hold on to what this experiment of democracy is all about, and we have those questions that come into our mind, but let me remind you that no matter where this year leads us, or next year leads us, or the next 10 years leads us, he's been there before us. He's already charted the course. He knows where we're going, and he's sufficient to lead us through it. His grace is sufficient. You see, he told the apostles, right? They were over here on this side. And they're looking at the cross and that Jesus is trying to paint a picture for them of what it's going to look like. There's going to be persecution. I'm going to suffer. There is cups you're going to have to drink from. There is a baptism of suffering you're going to go through. I'm going to go to the cross and I'm going to be crucified and I'm going to be whipped and I'm going to be beaten, and I'm going to be spit upon, and I will rise again, and all of these promises were given. All of those things were in front of the apostles. He made those promises, and yet they looked at all of that, and as those things come, they're like, man, what's going on? And he said, I kind of told you this was going to happen. And then they get to the resurrection, and on the other side of it, they're like, oh, that's right, you said this was going to happen. I get it. And here we stand today in 2020, and we hold a book in our hand that tells us what's going to happen. I mean, does it not? Jesus said, in this world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. He said, perilous times will come. He said, evil seducers will wax worse and worse. He said, the love of many will wax cold. He said, it's going to happen. He said, as it was in the days of Noah, so will it be in the coming of the Son of Man. He said, all of this is going to take place. We knew it was going to happen. But by the way, that's not all he said. He also said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. 
He also said, lo, I am with you always, even into the end of the age. He also said, every mouth will be stopped before God. Every knee will bow before him. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. And you know what he said that gives us the most hope? I will come again. And that's what we rest in this morning. And you and I, in fearfulness and in frustration, we can know that he's already charted the course. He's been faithful, and he will be faithful. He's already shown that he's going to be faithful. So, he is risen. He is risen indeed. He is victorious. He has promised that he will come again and receive us unto himself. And so what is our role in the present We look back with gratitude. We look forward with hope because God is still on the throne. And what do we do right now? He says in 1 Corinthians 15, and he concludes the most amazing chapter on the resurrection in all the Bible. Be therefore steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Now, that's a promise we have to believe by faith. Because I said to you before, sometimes it feels like we're running through quicksand to make progress. Anybody ever felt like that? But here's the thing. I don't have to worry about the outcome. He's already promised it. He is faithful. He will come again. And one day, we will see him face to face. So in the midst of our heartaches and our burdens... In the valleys that are yet ahead, the ones we can't even imagine that are in front of us right now. I I remember telling this to my teenage youth department when I was in Pittsburgh. And I remember looking at them and saying, life's going to happen to you. Heartache is going to come. And what you believe and what you set up today will determine how you face that when it comes. And I remember talking to them right now and then looking back and watching their lives kind of unfold from a distance. I'm thinking of one young man right now whose son is fighting cancer. And it seems like just yesterday he was sitting in a youth department more worried about who could win the foosball game than anything life would hold. And here's the thing. We don't know what tomorrow holds, but we do know he is faithful and he is going before us. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? Father, thank you for your word. Lord, I pray, Father, it would be a comfort and an encouragement to your people this morning. Lord, may we never lose sight of the fact that you went before us. All the way to the cross. All the way to the suffering of all of our sin and our debt. And you rose victorious. And the door's been thrown wide open. Father, give us grace to follow faithfully behind you. God, our steps this morning. Let's stand to our feet this morning as we sing together.